It was Sunday afternoon, two days after Christmas, about 5.30 in the afternoon. The sun had been shining all day, it was clear skies, weather was just warm enough to enjoy being outdoors. But as the sun was cresting over the horizon, getting ready to make its final descent, we looked around and looked at each other, and we knew the time had come. A group of 22 missionaries had just spent our third day at the Sunrise Orphanage in the south part of India. We had been there on Christmas Day, the day after Christmas, and this was two days about 120 kids, maybe more, maybe less, I'm not quite sure, there were so many, live in this uh, compound where they are taken care of and shown the love of God by this wonderful family, Mr. Varma and his wife, Lalita. And we had had the privilege of being there with them, sharing songs, and playing games, just wanting to reflect God's love to these kids. And as I looked around uh, the compound, it's uh, classrooms and dormitories on on either side in the center, a large grassy area with a a playground. As I looked around, my heart was just full of joy as I saw all our missionaries interacting. And wherever I looked, there they were surrounded by a group of kids, some playing volleyball, some on the swings, or their version of a swing, some playing seven stones, which you heard about last week if you were here. But we all looked and we knew, we had made an agreement that we needed to leave the place before dark. See, if you ever go to India, especially in rural India, or anywhere in India for that matter, but especially in rural India, you don't want to drive at night. You don't want to drive, period. Uh, In fact, they don't allow you to drive. Uh, It's certain death. But others will drive you. But the counsel we got is do not drive after sunset. See, in the rural part of India, there's only uh, a two-lane road, and uh, there's all kinds of traffic sharing a road. I mean, foot traffic, bikes, uh, cows, big trucks, buses, motorcycles, all kinds of traffic, and everyone has no regard for human life. Um, and so they pass each other. Sometimes they just beep and go. Sometimes they turn on their lights. Buses don't have their lights on at all. Um, it's really bizarre. I don't know why like the thing. They're like silent killers. It appears that way. Moseying, huge buses, they do not turn on their lights at night. And cars, you're behind a truck and suddenly you veer out. Oh no, get back in. But they don't, by the way, they never do that. They veer out and they just keep going. Somebody's going to move. It's like a continual game of chicken. We found this out the hard way. One day we held on too long and ventured out a little bit closer to, 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 to sunset and, and we said never again. So we had made this agreement amongst ourselves. This was our last day in India, we were traveling back the next day, and we wanted to get back safe. So we had made an agreement. We were going to leave by 5.45. But it was 5.30, and we were looking around, and, well, nobody wanted to leave. And you can tell, not just in the faces of those of us who were visiting, but also in the faces of the kids. Some of them are not kids, teenagers, young adults who we're spending time with. It seemed like this kind of an anxious energy in the air. No one wanted to go. And so 5.45 came and went, and 6 came, and 6.15, and no one wanted to go. One of the interesting scenes that I, we all witnessed was uh, our friend Jesse, who gave a testimony last week. See, uh, there was these little boys who would hang on to his 
hands and would not let him go. He literally dragged them around everywhere he went. Two or three little boys who would just clasp onto him. It's as if they had found someone. They had uh, finally captured someone and they did not want to let him go. But it was time to go. And as we gathered around in a large circle and the kids surrounded us, no one knew what to say. See, we knew we might never see each other. They knew it. We knew it. And it was time to go. But we didn't want to say goodbye. Have you ever had to do that? Say goodbye? Not knowing when you'll meet again? It's a difficult moment, isn't it? And as we sat around the circle and as we we looked, some kids were clinging and crying And as we tried to say goodbye, we we searched in our hearts and in our minds to leave something, to say a word, if we could just somehow stay with them in some way, or if they could somehow go with us in some small way. It was a a beautiful but gut-wrenching moment. It got dark. We were in the circle. We couldn't even see each other anymore, but no one wanted to move. No one wanted to leave. Because how do you say goodbye? Especially when you think you have found someone that you love. Someone that you feel connected to. How do you say goodbye? Why would you say? What would you say? Last week, my daughter and her friends talked about a young man who we call Seven Stones. He taught us this game called Seven Stones. And uh, everywhere that I turned around, Seven Stones was nearby. He's a great kid. Um, throughout the three days, uh, when I was doing something, I would turn around and he was nearby. Uh, and, and I felt like I had made this connection with seven stones. And sure enough, as we were in this circle and it was getting dark, I turned and he was standing next to me, staring at me. And I thought, how, how, how do I leave him and how do I assure him? The only thing I could think to do was to take off my watch and I put it in his hands and he was kind of overwhelmed by the moment. He didn't know what to say and I didn't know what to say either. But I wanted to say, I wanted to leave a piece of me with him. Have you ever felt that way? Having to say goodbye and wanting to leave something, uh, 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 something that they'll remember you by? We all prayed together. We um, took pictures together. We thought about it. Thought about making promises to return, but we all know those are promises that are hard to keep. But we imagine if there was just some way we could, some way we could share a little bit of ourselves because we had to say goodbye. I imagine that in just very small way reflects the way that Jesus was feeling in the story that we will read for today. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus was preparing to say goodbye And because he knew that the time had come, he wanted to leave something. He wanted to share a little bit of himself. In fact, we read the story a few weeks ago when we celebrated communion here on our campus. But I want to turn your attention to the rest of the story. So if you brought a Bible, please turn it to the book of John chapter 13. That's where we'll be studying. At least we'll pick up the story there. John chapter 13. The Bible begins to tell us the story in John chapter 13 by saying uh, that it was time for the Passover feast and Jesus knew that the time had come. He was aware that his time on earth was coming to a close and that he needed to complete his task. He knew exactly what lay ahead. This was 
Thursday of Passover week, and he is in this place we affectionately call the upper room. And as they're preparing to have the Passover feast, the Bible tells us in the book of John chapter 13 that Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and, 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 and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, Catch this. He now showed them the full extent of his love. At least that's the way it's expressed here in my translation. The full extent of his love. And we celebrate communion in our, in our community, in our faith community. But we also participate in foot washing, which we did here a few weeks ago. Um, this symbol that not all Christian communities participate in. But this symbol that for us represents a model that Jesus leaves behind. Of this unique relationship he establishes Amongst his followers. But the Bible describes that moment by saying that Jesus wanted to show them the full extent of his love. Like he wanted to reveal his true heart, the fullness of his heart. Having loved his own, that means he had spent time with these. He had, in fact, these men had been around him for at least three and a half years. They had walked with him, they had traveled, they had eaten dinners with him, they had fought against the authorities with him, they had seen him do miracles. They had seen him suffer ridicule, disdain, rejection. They had listened to him. They had been encouraged. They saw him walk on water. Jesus had revealed the most of himself to them. He had been asleep under their watch. But now the Bible says that Jesus wants to take it a step further. Having loved his own, he now wants to show them the full extent of his love. He wants to reveal all of his love. And you know the story. How does he choose to do this as they're having this evening meal? As they're sitting down, they're getting ready to eat. And the Bible tells us that Jesus takes off his coat or his outer jacket, puts it to the sides. And then he takes up a basin, you know the story, I don't have to tell you, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. It, it's, it's a really, really neat story, and like I said, one that we celebrate in our faith community. His disciples were bewildered by this act, and they said, wait a minute, what's going on? Because the servants do this job, but you're not supposed to be a servant, you're supposed to be the teacher, the master. And Jesus says, allow me to do this, you don't get it now, but someday you'll understand. He loosened up his coat and he got this basin and got the towels and began to wash their feet. And the Bible tells us that he goes down the row and he washes each of them. And when he gets to Peter, Peter says, don't do it. And Jesus says, if you don't understand this, then you don't understand me. And Peter says, okay, go for it. And Jesus continues. And when he was finished, the Bible tells us at the end here uh, of this particular passage, John chapter 13, he says, do you understand what I've done? And they said, well, Not really. And Jesus says, you call me Lord and teacher, and rightly so, for that is why I am. Verse 14. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet also. For I have set you an example, set for you an example that you should do as I have done. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed by them. If you do them. And Jesus says, as I have done, now you should do. I always find it interesting that Jesus doesn't just say to do this. He actually does it first. That's the kind of leader he is. Leads by example. In fact, even even before he explains what he's going to, he just does it. And then the Bible tells us that disciples are sort of bewildered by this moment. They can't quite make sense of it. 
Although as we look at the story of Jesus Christ and we hear what he's saying as we study, we can see how everything is leading up to this moment of self-sacrifice. In fact, in a few hours, he's going to be captured. He's going to be tied up. He's going to be whipped. And the next day, he's going to be up on a cross. We know this. We're students. But for the disciples, they still can't make sense of it. He has been saying all along, I have come to give myself up. This is the gift. This is the sacrifice. But the disciples can't make sense of it. So Jesus says, do you understand what I've done? And they really don't. And what's fascinating about this part of the story is this. This is how Jesus shows the full extent of his love. So in the heart of God, what he truly desires is that we would love one another the same way he is currently, in this moment, loving his disciples. So how is he loving his disciples? Well, oddly enough, as you'll read the next few verses here, and we're not going to read it together, but Judas is in the bunch. You know, you know Judas, the one who uh, betrays Jesus with a kiss? The one who sells him out? Stabs him in the back? No? No one's heard of Judas? Yes? I'm sure you have, because none of you guys name your kids Judas, so you know the story. But the Bible tells us that Judas is at the table. And Jesus, when he kneels down and begins to wash feet, he gets to Judas, knowing fully well what's about to take place. In fact, in the next few verses, Jesus kind of calls him out. If you read it there, Judas Judas is finally upset that he's been discovered, and he runs off to complete his, his task of betrayal. But before that happens, Jesus is on his hands and knees, and he is washing Judas's feet. Just picture that in a moment, okay? In a way, think about this. In your mind's eye, picture the person, your arch enemy. Do you have a personal arch enemy? You're like, oh, me, I have no enemies. Liar. Liar. There's somebody in your life who, you, even at this moment, I don't even have to say the words, a face comes to mind. Somebody in your life who probably has given you the hardest time. It might be a current person, your boss, you know, an aunt or an uncle who just always criticizing, I don't know, might be a co-worker, might even be your husband, your wife, I'm not sure. But there's someone in your life who is hard to love. And Jesus has this person in the room. And he kneels down at their feet and he washes their feet. Fascinating, don't you think? In the next few verses, Jesus says, okay, Judas, go ahead and do what you're going to do. Judas is upset and he leaves. Notice what happens next, verse 31, chapter 13. And when Judas was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is going to be glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. I know I can't make sense of what that means, so I don't expect you to. It's confusing. What is he talking about? He looks at his disciples, and they're confused, and he says, My children. That's the phrase that Jesus used. Okay, okay. Little ones, loved ones, beloved. He, he's drawing them in and he says, I will be with you only a little longer. My time is short. You will look for me, but where I'm going, you cannot come. I will be with you just a little while longer. So we were in the circle. There, Sunday night, it's getting dark. And there's this little girl. Her name is Lakshmi. She's Five? I don't know. Five? She's one of the youngest ones. She's just been recently to the orphanage. They all have the same haircuts if you saw the pictures. But this little girl has light brown hair as opposed to the dark, dark black hair that everyone else has. She's been ill. 
In fact, she's been falling asleep during church services and just laying there on the ground. But somehow or another, she makes a connection with Miss Anne, who's our resident dentist. And I'm oblivious to this until this moment. Because there we are, in the circle. And, and by the way, I- Indian culture is, is odd. Um, some physical touch is acceptable and others, other is not. It's hard to know. But there's this little girl, and she has clung on to Miss Anne. And she's got her and won't let go. And it's time to go. And we're trying to rush people into the cars. Because it's already dark, and we know we're probably going to die on the way back to our... Um, but we got to go. And this little girl won't let go. And Miss Anne doesn't want to let go either. There's this moment there. Jesus is, 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 is feeling and sensing this moment because he knows it's time to go. And as he's clinging to the disciples, showing the full extent of his love, he says, I'm only going to be here a little bit longer. And where I'm going, you cannot go. You can see us. My my kids, too, we're trying to sneak a kid onto one of the cars. Just We'll put them in the bag. They're really small. They fold up nice. It's true. But thinking, oh, we don't want to leave you behind. And Jesus is having this moment, and he looks at his disciples, and he says, I, where I'm going, you cannot come. Have you ever had to leave somebody behind? Where I'm going, you cannot come. The disciples said, where are you going? Verse 36, Simon Peter asked, where are you going? Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot come. And my time is short. I'll only be here a little while longer. But before I go, Jesus says, let me leave this with you. Let me leave with you the full extent of my love. Let me leave the one thing that I think will leave a lasting imprint on your life. You know what he says? A new command I give you, verse 34, that you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know that verse, right? You've heard it before. A new command I give you, that you love one another. It's obviously not a new command, really, truthfully. God has been saying this all along, establishing the, the, the concept of love amongst his people, his community. But Jesus here is saying it point blank and flat out. And he's saying, as I'm, I, I can't stay much longer, my time, so this is what I'm going to leave with you. This new command, that you love one another, as I have loved you. As I have loved you. Amen? Yes, Amen. But not really. Think about it for a minute. See? When Jesus was asked before and before this part in, in the gospel, this, Jesus, what are the greatest commandments? Jesus said, love God with all your heart, might, soul, and strength. And the second one is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And we know this, the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. But we sort of separate these two in a way in which the first one, the one where we say love God with everything, is a self-sacrificing kind of love. The kind that says God is my all. At least that's what we're challenging and tasking us. God is my all. I will live for him. My mind, how I think, my soul, how I feel, my spirit, my strength, my wisdom, I will give my all to God. But then I will love my neighbor as myself. That's a sort of a step down. 
Like I'll treat others the way I want to be treated, a self-respecting kind of love. I will do for them what I would expect others to do for me. I will, it, it, we bring that commandment a little bit lower. The expectation there is that we will give all to God, but to our neighbor, meh, whatever we're capable of doing. But Jesus says no. This is why he calls it a new command. He says, because I want you to love others as I have loved you. And you know how that is? It is to the full extent. Think about it. What is he just doing? He is literally washing the grime off the feet of the person who is in this moment stabbing him in the back with his full knowledge. He is literally washing the feet of the one person who in a few hours is going to reject him publicly three times, curse him out publicly three times. He is doing something for those he knows will abandon him. He is already forgiving something that hasn't yet taken place. He is fully committed to loving these men no matter what may happen. He calls it the full extent of his love. And then he says, now that's how I want you to love each other, to the full extent. That means he is tasking us to fully give up ourselves for the sake of the people around us, and not just the nice people. See, that's not just hard. It's literally impossible, don't you think? Come on, let's be honest with ourselves. So those of you guys that are married, well, don't get me wrong. I love my wife. And I'm sure she loves me, but I know that some days I don't make it easy. Amen? Thank you. That's right. That's right. Even my best intentions can somehow get messed up. You know how like in your mind's eye it was like a good idea, but when you did it, it didn't work out so well? I know that. Even our best intentions means that sometimes we end up hurting the people that we had made a commitment to love. And it is not easy. But there's also people in our lives who have made no decision to love us. In fact, sometimes we think there are people just there to make life difficult for us and to hurt us. And they're just trying to get at us. And Jesus says, I want you to give those people the full extent of who you are. That's just impossible, friends. It's hard enough to try to love the people we like. How impossible is it to love the people who we don't like? But God says, full extent. Not just as you want to be treated. Mm -mm. Not just do for them what you think would be nice to do for you. No, love them as I have loved you. And what is he doing in this moment? He is fully giving up his pride, his place, his honor. Literally, he will give up his blood and his body. That's what he's asking of us. Then he goes on to say, and that's how other people will know that you're my disciples. Oof. Tough task, right? See, Jesus doesn't say, others will know because you say you are a Christian. By the way, that doesn't go very far. Jesus says the only way, and he'll repeat this over and over again, the only way that others, the world will know that you have been with me is if you fully to the full extent of your love, give your love for others. 
Obviously, the disciples are concerned about this. But they don't get it. Peter can't even hear what Jesus has just said. So he says, okay, uh, rewind it. Where are you going again? I heard you say you were going somewhere we can't go. Where are you going? Verse 36, Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter says, why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Peter says, I'm gonna, I would go to the ends of the earth. I would lay down my life. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times in just a little bit. Now they're confused. Now they're concerned. Jesus is asking them to, to lay down their lives. And Peter says, I'll do it. And Jesus says, no, you won't. You can't. It's impossible. You want to, but you're going to deny me three times in, in just a little while. Now they're confused. And that's where Jesus says these words that are now probably very familiar to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Can, can you see the connect here? They're confused now. They're completely confused. How are we supposed to do this when you say it's not possible? Jesus says, trust in God. Trust in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms. You remember this part. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll prepare a place. I will come back for you and take you to be with me. And now you know the way to the place where I'm going. The disciples are confused. We don't know what you're talking about. Lord, how do we know where you're going? Thomas says. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am. Anyone? I am the way, the truth. And all these really cool verses are happening in this moment, in this upper room. I am the truth, the way, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. And Jesus says, scratch that. From now on, you do know the Father. And you have seen him. And Philip says, Lord, if you would just show us the Father, then we would be satisfied. All we got to do is see the Father. <laughs> I love that. Because Jesus just got done saying, you have seen him. And he's like, oh, okay, cool, show him to me. <laughs> but I think in a lot of ways, they're asking questions that you and I ask. How will I be sure? How can I be certain? Give me some proof. Show me some stuff. Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. God, if you just do this one thing for me, I will finally commit myself to love fully. God, if you just get me out of this particular mess, I will finally really make a commitment to go to church instead of being just a regular visitor. God, if you get me out of this mess, I promise I will finally be faithful to you financially. And Jesus says, don't you already know me? Even after I've been with you this long time. Anyone, verse 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say show us the Father? I think Jesus is a little bit upset. How can you say show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? That the words that I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Jesus is saying something that for us, I mean, you didn't bat an eye. Because we believe that Jesus is from the Father. But for them, 
They haven't captured it yet. Jesus has been there this whole time, and he's been saying the same message, that he has come from the Father and that he is one with the Father. But they don't get it. See, the disciples believed in Jesus. They believed that he was sent from heaven, that he was special. They might even give him the moniker of Messiah, the chosen one, but they did not understand what that meant. So Jesus is explaining it. This is how he's revealing the full extent of his love. He is saying, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. For those of us that hear this 2,000 years later, we think, okay, whoop-de-doo. We know Jesus is from God. We believe that. We understand that. But in the moment, can you consider it to have a physical person standing in our room and saying, no, I and God the Father, the Father, the invisible Father of all things, we are one. He is in me and I am in him. It's ludicrous to think about that, honestly. But Jesus says that is what you need to capture. That is what makes Jesus' sacrifice mean something. That is what makes Jesus' words represent something. In fact, I don't know if you heard him, but he says, the words that I'm saying don't come from me. They come from God the Father. The things that I'm doing are not my choices. It is God doing this in me. Now, we're okay with that, I think. In fact, that's why we love Jesus. He is of God, come to be among us. We celebrate his his baby birth. How could the God of heaven decide to become like us? And yet Jesus has more to say on this. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing, and he will do even greater things because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. And you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. The disciples are really perplexed, as you are too today. I know, because you're looking at me weird. Jesus says, you're going to do amazing things greater than I. And if you look at the record book, Jesus has cast out demons, uh, brought people back to life, walked on water, multiplied food, done all kinds of things. And Jesus says, you're going to do greater things than that. Because I'm going to the Father, so it will be up to you to do these things. You may ask me for anything, and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth, capital S. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Listen, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus knows that the time is short. He is about to leave. He's about to depart. He's going to be crucified. He will resurrect, and then he will ascend to heaven. You know that because it's in Acts chapter 1. But Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. The physical expression of God on earth in the person of Jesus Christ is no longer visible. Have you seen him? The world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. How does that, what? Because I live, you will also live. Verse 20, catch this. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. I know you're confused. (laughs) Here's what Jesus is saying. The expression of God and the gift of Jesus Christ, the physical reality of him, is no longer with us. The disciples saw him ascend to heaven, Acts chapter 1. 
Verse 8. But Jesus says, God will send you another. Did you catch that? God will send you another. The spirit of truth. The counselor. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my father. The father is in me. And that I am in you. See, the full extent of his love, it's not just some outward expression of what it means to follow God. The full extent of God's love is that he takes who he is and he places himself inside of us. It's not just a watch that he leaves with us. It's not just a coat or a picture. He literally takes God himself and places him inside of us. You know what we call that? We call it the Holy Spirit, a counselor. The Holy Spirit. Truth be told, if I gave you a pen and a pencil and I asked you to draw me what the Holy Spirit looks like, you wouldn't know what to draw. If I said, what's God the Father look like? Give me some Moses-type character, long white hair, big white beard. How about Jesus? Younger version of that. Nice beard, open hands, little holes. But if I said Holy Spirit, which, by the way, we believe in the Trinity, what would you draw? Nothing, right? And if I told you, what's the Holy Spirit like, what would you say? People say, it's like the force, Luke, you know. But it's not. Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is another. Did you catch that? See, we are celebrating the gift of Jesus Christ, that he would send his son. But Jesus says, I'm leaving. But now God will send another. The Holy Spirit. And he claims that that Holy Spirit will be with us forever. Always. And he claims it's not just a physical expression, someone that you can run into once in a while, someone that will, on a crazy day, wash your feet. No, this other God will be in you. Does that sound disturbing? It should. It should be. That the God of the universe would place himself, not just on earth, but literally inside of you. I think it's disturbing. I think it's scary. It means two things. One, he knows all there is about my dirty feet. He knows all there is about my, because he's inside of me. But two, it means that because he's inside of me, he can do what I cannot. Jesus says, I want you to love others as I have loved you. We can't do that, friends. You can't love your husbands, wives, or kids, not even your friends. But he says, as I have loved you. How? It isn't me who uses these words. It isn't me who does these things. Jesus says, it is the Father in me. And so you and I are tasked to represent God in the world and to love our neighbor and to do these things. But it isn't us. It cannot be us. It is the Father in us. It is the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit, God has promised, Jesus has promised, is in you. He is unseen, but not unknown. He says, you will not be able to see me. You will not be able to see it, but it will reveal, he will reveal himself to you. Unseen, but not unknown. Oftentimes, we in our faith community are afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit 
So everybody gets the creeps. But what we fail to understand is that that's the expression that God, that's the gift that God has given us for the present. No relationship with Jesus is possible without the presence of the Holy Spirit. No knowledge of God, no understanding of prophecy, none of those things make any sense without the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God present here today. It is how God the Father is omnipresent in us. And more fascinating than that, not just in the universe, but literally inside of you as a person. That's what Jesus says. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. For some, that's a scary thought, that God would be inside of me and know everything there is. But for me, it's a moment of great relief. That means these insurmountable mountains that I must climb, these unconquerable obstacles that I am faced with. I don't have to do that alone. In fact, I won't do any of that. It is the work of God in me. It is the Holy Spirit. We're going to spend some time in our community studying the Holy Spirit, studying God, the Holy Spirit, finding out the purpose, what is he do? How do we know him? For Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another to be with you forever. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you.